It is the second Sunday of Advent, and our focus turns to the Gospel of Mark and to the character of John the Baptist. I'm thinking a lot today about what is the character of John the Baptist, not just what he is saying, but who he is, how he goes about what he's doing, and maybe more uniquely, where it is that he's saying what it is that he's saying. You can think about those things as we share in this reading from the Gospel of Mark. I'll be reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Here now this reading of the Gospel. In the beginning, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me, and I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of you may have to hang with me for a second. Some of you will be really energized by this next statement. There is a statement in organizational studies that says, culture eats strategy for lunch. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you have, this is a bad episode of The Office Chris is talking about. Culture eats strategy for lunch. Let me explain this to you with a couple kind of silly examples from very far apart. One of the most feared boxers of my childhood was Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. They made a video game about Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson's punch out. And I guarantee you, I never got anywhere close to being able to punch out Mike Tyson in the video game. But Mike Tyson had a little saying that said, everyone has a strategy until they get punched in the mouth. Everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth because something happens And it changes all, well, the best laid plans of mice and men, right? That may not connect with you, but I bet this statement has. Oh, sweetie, we don't do things like that around here. You ever said that to somebody? You ever had that said to you? That statement is culture eating strategy for lunch. Because, oh, sweetie, that way that you're thinking might be better, but we don't do it like that around here. We can have all the ideas, plans, strategies in the world, 
But if people aren't interested in those strategies, in what those things might bring, in what change might come, it doesn't matter. Because the adopted, shaped, inherited culture of a group or an organization has the power to outlive, outpace, crush the best strategies in the world. This is a reality in organizations, at your business, in your social club, in an organization like a church, but it is also true of the things that we hold dear, like our religious faith. And my observation about culture and strategy isn't so much about us right now as it is the religious institutions that we will look at in just a few minutes. Now, if you need one more example about how this looks and works, one thing I thought about was a couple of football teams. We're going to compare the Dallas Cowboys with the Carolina Panthers. Now, as someone who grew up in Dallas but wasn't a Dallas football fan, one of my favorite things to do is to listen to the sports radio on what we call Overreaction Monday. Because on Monday morning after a Dallas win, the Cowboys will win the Super Bowl. And on Monday morning after a Dallas loss, the Cowboys are the worst team that's ever walked the face of the earth. And this year, the Cowboys have... A new coach, not a new owner, not a new organization, not new players. They have a new coach, and they are not having a good year. The Panthers, on the other hand, also have a new coach, but have a fairly new owner who's seeking to impose a whole new set of practices and cultures. The Panthers have less wins than they should this year. Yet, organizationally, they are changing their culture in a way that will let the strategy follow. And the Cowboys thought, well, maybe if we just put someone else's name on that door, it will fix everything. And as we've already said, culture eats strategy for lunch. Today, even though I'm a fan of neither, it's better to be a Panthers fan than a Cowboys fan. But enough with the sports. In every faith tradition, there is a distinct culture and a distinct set of beliefs that exist. And sometimes those beliefs push for change, long for change, promise and prophesy that change will come. But what's really difficult about these inherited beliefs is that even though we know they're coming, they often come from outside the establishment, over it on the margins. Change often comes from the wilderness, which is exactly why we meet John the Baptist where? Out there, by the river, promising the good news is coming, but he's the one voice Calling out in the wilderness. John the Baptist, the central character 
of the story today is on the edge. And we'll get back to that in a second. But as I change gears again, on the second Sunday of Advent, it's a Sunday where we are longing and waiting during this season. We know what the very end holds. And today we move a little bit closer. Last week it was this long telescoped view of someday Jesus will return long again. And, and, and today it's a little closer. Prepare the way because the Savior is coming. And today we see these prophecies from Isaiah 40 that Tim read met. There is a voice crying out in the wilderness. In Isaiah 40, the people had been in and out of exile. They were longing and waiting for a real Messiah to come. It was a desperate cry for the Lord in Isaiah. The people wanted affirmation. They wanted their debts forgiven. They wanted to know that they had been punished long enough that it was time to move on. They were searching for a semblance of hope and the prophet was promising that it would come. And we today, as individuals and families and people living in the year of 2020, as I stare at a congregation of people behind cloth and surgical masks, we're longing for something too. Needing hope to emerge from the anxiety and the chaos of, of the headlines. And though our need is much more short-lived and more acute than Isaiah's deep, long longing. We still pray for God to intervene. And when God does. Then we will know that our anxiety can shift from from anxiety to hope and to peace. Isaiah's longing for peace didn't come immediately, so we have to fast forward some five, six hundred years to get to John the Baptist. And as we fast forward, what we see is that in John, the longings are being fulfilled. The seasons are changing. Events are happening and personalities are emerging that bring about the dramatic relief to God's people that they need. So as we read about John, we see some people are going to see that the relief is coming. Some it's going to take a little while and others are going to miss it completely. And the ones who miss what John was saying, miss it because they're looking in the wrong place. You see, so often we expect past performance to promise future results. We expect. That the way things happened before will be the way they happen again. And especially in a, a, a people like us who are so steeped in our tradition and rely so heavily on our tradition to, to show us the ways that God shows up. We expect things to happen next time the way they did last time. And the Israelites were the same kind of folks. They were longing for a king like David, one who sort of mixed up these religious blessings and affirmations with the political blessings and affirmations of being not just the political king, but God's king for the people. 
But what Isaiah and what Mark make clear about the next king, about the next good news, is that the promise of good news comes from outside their expectations. The hope of God comes from the wilderness. Because John doesn't fit in. He wears camel hair, eats bugs. And though he was a child of a priest, he was not the child of the high priest. He was not the heir apparent. He was not next in line to the throne. John was John was more like a preacher's kid than he was the son of a priest. But John is telling them exactly what they need to hear. And it's exactly what we need to hear also. Because think back with me for a second. Culture needs strategies for lunch. It's hard to make change from within. Because the ones who are on the inside, they're the ones who have a vested interest in keeping things the way they are. The son of the high priest likes being the son of the high priest. And when he becomes high priest, he wants to keep things that way. Because that allows him to stay in power the same way previous generations had. He likes the role of being in charge of the religious establishment because it serves him. Therefore, the establishment is threatened by change. That is how culture kills strategy for lunch. And that is why the good news that the Messiah is coming comes from the wilderness. That is why the good news of the power of God comes from out on the fringes. That is why John preaches outside of Jerusalem. So that the culture inside Jerusalem doesn't suppress the good news that is coming. Change comes from the margins. Change comes from the outside. Change comes when we're forced to make it. But change comes not from within the tradition sometimes. And that's why during Advent, we have to celebrate John's story. That's why later in the Gospels, one of the disciples will ask, can anything good come from Nazareth? Maybe that's why this baby's going to be born in a manger, not at home. John's a voice crying out in the wilderness. John's an outsider telling us something good is going to happen. And what do we do with this? Well, on a large scale, we remember. God works in and from places that we might not expect. But if we want to join God's work, we need to expect to go places where we might not be comfortable. But even more acutely, today is December 6th, 2020. As we've already said, my mask is over here, yours are on your face. Trees already lit. 
This is supposed to be the second Sunday of Advent, the night that Oxford Baptist holds Hanging of the Greens. And if there's anything that we know about our year in the life of the church, this is the night that matters. Spiritually? Oh, from a Christmas Easter perspective, maybe it's not the most important night, but but if there were ever a road sign or a marker or an altar where we said, when that thing happens, we know that God will meet us. When that thing happens, then the season can start. When we do that thing, that's how we know God's promise exists to work in us. And this year, we don't get it. We can't have that. There's plenty of grief that goes with that. There's plenty of anxiety and frustration that exists in that. And we could unpack that somewhere else, not in a sermon. But if we listen to where John is coming from, what do we find? We find that in a year where we're strewn out into the wilderness, A wilderness not of our own making. A wilderness that is not what we wished for, not what we wanted, not what we would have planned for ourselves, and is probably not even our fault. It's not our fault. We find that instead of depending upon the traditional checkpoints, we're going to have to listen to God in the wilderness. But that's where John is. That's where the promise of the good news comes from. Like the ones who recognized that John was the good news out in the wilderness, we too will get to look out in the wilderness and see God is probably at work out there. And if we look with expectations, if we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear, and hearts to sense. I do suspect that there will be ways that God will meet us out there. Even though we're not in here. This year we can't look to tradition to alleviate our anxiety and provide a measure of hope. But this year, we get to look to the God who worked in the wilderness. And we need to see that just because we're not doing things the same way we always have, doesn't mean that God's not going to meet us. In fact, the promise of John is that is where God meets us. The Spirit of God most definitely shows up in the wilderness. And therefore, will most definitely Show up for us this season. Our task of discernment is to be wise enough to see beyond the tradition and the establishment. To see beyond the ways which we had grown so comfortable. And recognize that in different places than we would have expected or anticipated, God is still at work. And we can expect that. All we have to do is look outside instead of grieve completely and obsessively that which we've lost.
We have to look for the fresh ways that God's at work. Because if we don't, we might as well be a part of the religious establishment that ignored John back in his day. And that's not who we want to be. I know that. And you do too. Culture eats strategy for lunch. You may not need that saying beyond this little sermon. But what you do need to remember is that power and change and the work of God, especially this year, is going to come from places we don't expect. This year, as we navigate a strange season, I pray that we all might have the wisdom and the courage to look in the places God promises to be, even when they're places we don't expect. And I pray that if we have the faith to follow God out there, to look beyond our expectations to where the Lord says, I'm out there, that like those who met John and heard his promise, we too might sense God's work afresh and anew and in a powerful way that carries us forward into the hands of our Lord. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, we give you thanks for this day. We recognize all of the mixed feelings and emotions and anxieties that are up within us. And in the midst of all of those, we pray that you would meet us even in the wilderness. We pray that you would meet us especially in the wilderness. May we see past the camel hair and the locusts and the honey to see your work. May we see past the trappings. May we see beyond the comfort of the familiar. So that we might see where you're at work. We might experience your work. And we might embody your love for this world for ourselves, and for the sake of our relationship with you. These things, O Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Lord, who we wait for today. Amen.